This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, you guys. Happy Wednesday. I hope y'all are having a great week. It's the middle of the week. We're almost there. The weekend is almost here. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the Kanika Jenkins case. This case has always been one that I've thought about covering. And again, just similar to last week's case when we covered the Kendrick Johnson case, this case has definitely become more prevalent in the media lately. And it is most likely due to the Black Lives Matter movement. Regardless, I've always wanted to cover this case for multiple reasons, and we will get into that. But before we do, I want to take a second and go back to last week's case. Like I said, we covered the Kendrick Johnson case last week, and if you've not heard the episode on that case, you can quickly pause this, go back and listen to that one, and then come back and visit us here to listen to Kanika's case, or you can just skip through this part and you can listen to Kendrick's after you listen to Kanika's case. So you guys, I can honestly wholeheartedly say I have never been tagged in so many posts regarding a case before as I was with Kendrick's case. After the podcast and the YouTube video were uploaded last week, you guys tagged me in so many different things regarding Kendrick's case, and it was so interesting to learn about and really mind-blowing because there was some new information that I was not aware of. So there is an Instagram post floating around regarding Kendrick's case, and it is a public document. It's headed by saying State of Florida, County of Columbia, and it says, quote, this is the declaration of Ryan Anthony Dominic Hernandez, who makes the declaration under penalty of perjury and pursuant to 28 USC 1746, hereby states the following, end quote. So this document is in the perspective of a man named Ryan Anthony Dominic Hernandez, and he says, quote, I am over the age of 21, and I'm giving this declaration voluntarily. I have personal knowledge of the facts stated herein and know them to be true, end quote. And he continues to go on and say, quote, I met Brandon Bell in April 2016 and on one occasion was with him at his apartment in Jacksonville, Florida, when he told me that his younger brother, killed Kendrick Johnson, end quote. And then he goes on to say, quote, according to Brandon Bell, Brian Bell, Ryan Hall, and Kendrick Johnson were in the gym when an argument between Brian and Kendrick began. The argument was over Brian's girlfriend. According to Brandon Bell, Brian was taking steroids at the time and was out of a roid rage or the effects of the steroids. He struck Kendrick Johnson in the neck with a 45 pound, end quote. And he basically goes on to say that Brandon informed his father of the fight, who his father worked in the FBI at the time, and then his father informed the sheriff. And this man also goes on to say that Brandon Bell told him that the sheriff got in touch with the county coroner. Because if you remember, there were so many different things, so many bizarre events that happened with Kendrick's death. You know, his organs were found out of his body. The coroner wasn't even called to the scene until six hours after Kendrick's body had been discovered. And then Ryan, the person giving this declaration, also goes on to 
to say, quote, Brandon Bell also told me that his father got in touch with another FBI agent who is in some way facilitated with the editing of the high school surveillance video by corrupting or deleting some one hour and 25 minutes of the original recording, end quote. And that matches up with what the surveillance team that was hired by CNN said. And then Ryan also goes on to say, quote, Brandon Bell also told me that after Kendrick's death, his organs were removed and a newspaper was placed in the cavity so as to interfere with any effort to establish the correct time of death or to otherwise disclose any other injuries. Brandon Bell also told me that the autopsy was falsely documented, end quote. So this basically blows this case up into a whole different way. It's one thing to talk about theories and potential, and this is what we think could have happened, but we don't really know. And it's another thing to have a story laid out for you. You know, we talked last week about the rumor that was circulating that Kendrick and one of the Bell brothers were under a lot of tension over the similar love interest. And I also find it interesting that Ryan, who gave this declaration, disclosed that Brandon said that Kendrick was hit in the neck with a 45-pound dumbbell because this last two autopsies, two out of the three autopsies, said that the cause of death was blunt force trauma and they mentioned a small bruise on the back of Kendrick's neck. So that would make sense. That would be the correlation there. As far as the background as to who the person giving this declaration is or why they're even doing it or anything like that, that is pretty unclear. I'm not exactly sure what this person's reasoning for spilling all this information is other than it's the right thing to do. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt and I'd be very interested to see where this case goes moving forward. I know right now it is a closed case, but I would be very interested to see where it goes moving forward and if there is a possibility of reopening this case because it definitely seems like there is a lot of stones that have not been turned over yet and maybe they are being deliberately not turned over or maybe no one's thought of it, but I think it's really important to get this case reopened because there's clearly something going on here. This it's, it's clear. So I know that that was a lot to go through for a case recap. We usually don't go that long into them, but I do have one more thing I want to mention to you guys. I was so could not wait to tell you guys this information when I found out about it. So if you guys are keeping up with the Vanessa Gillen case, you are probably aware that there were remains that were discovered right outside the Fort Hood army base. I had a lot of you tagging me in this information saying, you know, they found Vanessa. This is Vanessa. This has to be Vanessa, but it actually wasn't Vanessa's remains that were discovered. In Vanessa's episode, we took a decent period of time to discuss the fact that Fort Hood is a very shady place. And based off of all the responses I got on that episode, you guys seemed to agree with me. Whether you know someone who's there, you've been there yourself, you've stayed there, you're currently staying there, it seemed to be a general consensus that a lot of sketchy things happen there. And when talking about this, we talked about the fact that there was a man who went missing in August of 2019 named Gregory Waddell Morales. He went missing in August of 2019, like I said, and he was planning to leave the base in September. So he literally just had one month left before he went missing and his remains were the ones that were discovered. As far as I know, at this very moment, there hasn't been a lot of information released about cause of death or motive or what in the world happened, but I wanted to give you guys that update and let you know that it wasn't Vanessa. So Vanessa is still out there 
she's still considered a missing person. However, the remains that were found were those of Gregory, who went missing in August 2019. And it'll be very interesting to see how this kind of continues and to see what the cause of death was and what really happened. Okay, so those are all my updates for today. And with that being said, let's jump right on into today's case. So like I said in the beginning of this episode, today we are talking about the death of Kanika Jenkins. Kanika was 19 years old when she died in Rosemont, Illinois on September 10th, 2017. Kanika Jenkins was born on September 15th, 1998 to her mother, Teresa Martin. Kanika attended Voice Academy High School and prior to her death, she had actually just gotten a job to be working at a nursing home. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find too much information out there about Kanika's personality and who she was as a person and you guys know I love to include personality traits and characteristics of the people that we're talking about to give a better understanding of who the person is outside of all of this that ended up happening to them. Because the truth is, is that these people are so much more than what happened to them. So it's really unfortunate when I can't really find that type of information. So because of that, we are just going to jump to Friday, September 8th, 2017. So on this night, there was a party being thrown at a hotel. Now this hotel is called the Crown Plaza. So Kanika and her friends, there were three of her friends, decided that they were going to go to this hotel party. It was a party that was going to be thrown in a hotel room, and Kanika did not tell her mom that she was going to be going out to this party that night. In typical teenage fashion, she didn't want her mom to be worried or overreact or tell her she couldn't go, so she decided the best way to avoid that was through not telling her where she was actually going. So instead, Kanika told her mother that her and her three friends were going to go bowling and go to a movie to celebrate her getting this new job at her nursing home, and she left her home at about 11.30 p.m. on September 8th, 2017. So on the way to Crown Plaza Hotel, Kanika and her friends made a pit stop along the way. They stopped to pick up a Bluetooth speaker, and they also picked up some alcohol, some weed, and some energy drinks. So after grabbing those things, Kanika and her friends are seen entering the Crown Plaza on surveillance footage at about 1.13 a.m. through the side entrance of the hotel. At 1.30 a.m. on September 9th, Kanika sent a text message to her sister. The context of the text I was unable to discover. However, this is the last form of communication that Kanika had with anyone in her family. So let's talk about this hotel party. So I personally have never been to a hotel party. I'm not sure how these things work. However, in this case, this party was held on the ninth floor of the Crown Plaza in room 927. According to some of the people who attended the party, there were about 30 people in one hotel room. So just to give you some context, typically one hotel room fits maybe like four or five people max to sleep in depending on the hotel. So you could just imagine 30 people in one hotel room. And because of that large number, some people were standing in the hallway of the hotel, some were in the hotel 
hotel room and there was at least one noise complaint reported that night for the party. People who saw Kanika that night said that she was drinking. She was drinking a pretty decent amount and her drink that night was Hennessy. However, no one ever reported seeing her doing any sort of drugs. No one saw her smoking weed, none of it. So from my understanding, the reason that this party was being thrown to begin with was because it was a birthday party for a girl. I'm unsure of her name. However, the birthday girl ended up going on Facebook Live that night at about 1.36 a.m. She went on Facebook Live from the hotel room, so while the party was happening, and you hear her talking to people while she's on the live, in the background you hear someone calling her pretty and saying happy birthday, which is what led people to believe that this was a birthday party. And even though it was 1.36 a.m., this party was really just getting started. There weren't too many people in the room at that point. However, on this live, you do see Kanika. So Kanika is located in this hotel room at 1.36 when this girl goes on Facebook Live. Following the Facebook Live, there were multiple other forms of social media stories like Snapchat and Instagram that people were posting that night. And Kanika is seen on a Snapchat video with her friends at 2.17 a.m. But there were multiple people who posted on their stories that night. And based off of those, everyone in the party just seemed to be drinking and partying and having a good time. And then we reach about 3 o'clock a.m. And at this point, Kanika and her friends decided that they wanted to leave the party and go home. So they all get together and they walk out of room 927 and head towards the elevator to head down to the lobby to exit the hotel. When Kanika and her three friends got to the elevator, Kanika realized that she left her cell phone and her car keys because Kanika had taken her mom's car that night. So she realized that she left her cell phone and her car keys back in room 927. So because of this, the other girls that she went to the party with her other group of friends decided that all three of them were going to go back to room 927 and grab Kanika's belongings and that Kanika should wait at the elevator for them to just go in and then come back out. This has been a huge center of controversy as to why all three of Kanika's friends had to go back into the room, but we will get into that later. And this is all on surveillance. So Kanika's friends are seen leaving Kanika at the elevator by herself. Her friends leave her for about 10 to 15 minutes while she's by herself at the elevator. And by the time her friends come back from gathering her belongings, Kanika was gone. Now Kanika's friends didn't know what to do when they came back and saw that she wasn't there anymore. So they decided to start walking around the hotel to see if Kanika had wandered off anywhere. Maybe she had to go to the bathroom somewhere. Maybe she was just confused. So they start immediately looking for her and her friends are seen on surveillance footage wandering around all through the hotel looking for Kanika. They're looking down multiple different hallways. They're looking at each other, throwing their hands up in the air almost as if they were saying, you know, like, I don't know where she is. So after doing some searching and not being able to find Kanika, the girls decided to call Kanika's mother, Teresa, at 4.02 a.m. The girls did this because they thought maybe she went down to the lobby and she asked the receptionist to get her a taxi. Maybe she got a cab. Maybe she went home. And so that is why they ended up calling Teresa. So when the girls contacted Teresa and asked if Kanika had made it home, however, Teresa informed the girls that Kanika was not at home. And right after this conversation, Kanika's three friends are seen on surveillance going up to a man who's working at the receptionist desk. And there is 
isn't any audio on the surveillance, so we aren't able to know the exact wording of what they're saying. However, the man working at the receptionist desk ends up pointing to the right, which has made everyone believe that these friends were asking if he had either seen Kanika or if he knew where she could have gone in the hotel or if there were other places to look. And after the receptionist points to the right, Kanika's friends basically follow in that direction. And then after doing that, they're seen walking outside of the hotel at 4.06 a.m. to see if Kanika wandered over to the car and was waiting for them there. However, that was unsuccessful as well. And mind you, just for a reminder, the girls, Kanika's friends had her cell phone, so it wasn't like they could call her or text her or try to get in contact with her. There was no way for them to try and call her or get in contact with her. So after her friends had gone outside to see if Kanika was waiting at the car, the girls went back into the hotel after realizing she wasn't there, and one of her friends had gone to the lower level of the hotel, which the lower level of the hotel is basically below the lobby, and it contains the more business operations side of the hotel. So you have conference rooms down there, you have kitchens for the restaurants, you have offices, auditoriums, things like that. And there is a stairway that leads from the lobby to this lower level. So the girls went down the stairs and onto the lower level, and one of the girls walks into the bathroom on this lower level to see if Kanika had stumbled in there. However, when she walked in, she did not find Kanika anywhere, and the three of them walked back upstairs to the main lobby. So these girls really did search high and low for Kanika. They're seen on surveillance, searching all throughout the hotel in every place they thought to, so it's not like they couldn't find Kanika and just said, screw it, let's go home. They really did try to look for her, and at 5 o'clock a.m. that same morning, surveillance footage shows the three girls running to Teresa's car, which was Kanika's mom's car, the car that they took, to the Crown plaza and the girls drove to Kanika's house and told Teresa that they still were unable to find Kanika anywhere and that is when Teresa got in the car herself with the girls and drove back to the Crown Plaza with them to search for herself. Now when Teresa got to the hotel she immediately went up to the front desk and asked to see the surveillance footage that way it would be easier for her to locate her daughter. Now according to Teresa she said that when she asked to see the surveillance footage she felt completely completely dismissed and felt like she wasn't being taken seriously. The woman working at the front desk early that morning told Teresa that surveillance footage falls into police matter and that's for the police to handle, so if she wanted to see it, she would have to file a missing persons report. So after getting this piece of information, Teresa decided she didn't want to waste any time, so for the next hour following this, Teresa and the girls continued to search through this hotel and tried to go over every and any place they could possibly missed. And then at 7.15 a.m. on September 9th, Teresa called the Rosemont Police Department to file a missing persons report for Kanika. At this point, no one knew what could have happened to Kanika. All they knew is that Kanika had been drinking that night, she was intoxicated, and then she went missing. Her friends left her by herself. Did someone take her? Did she wander off? There were so many questions up in the air. So when Teresa called 911, she told the operator that her daughter had been missing for the past couple hours 
hours. No one had seen or heard from her. She explained the whole story. And this is when the 911 operator told Teresa that it had only been a couple hours since anyone had last seen Kanika and that Kanika just probably found a hotel room and is sleeping off the alcohol and she's 19 and she's an adult and she can do what she wants essentially. The 911 operator continued by saying that if Teresa doesn't hear from Kanika for a full day to call back and they will file an official report. Now this is really frustrating to hear obviously for Teresa and when I heard the 911 call I was really frustrated and irritated for the way it was handled as well because Teresa knows her daughter. She knew that this was extremely unlike her daughter to not be heard from by her friends or her family and that this was just extremely out of character for her. So over 12 hours later at 8 30 p.m. that same day the Rosemont Police Department actually ended up showing up to Crown Plaza. Now not because of Teresa's 911 call but because the hotel had actually called the authorities on Kanika's family. The hotel told authorities that Kanika's family and friends were wandering through the hotel looking for Kanika. They were knocking on guest doors, they were passing out flyers, and someone in their group ended up pulling the fire alarm in hopes that it would cause everyone to run out of the building and hopefully if Kanika was still in the building she would be able to run out as well. However, this was not the case. So authorities aren't showing up to the hotel to help Kanika's family search for their missing daughter. They're showing up to the hotel based off of a complaint that the hotel filed because Kanika went missing in their hotel and now her family is trying to find her. So authorities arrived to the hotel and initially they obviously weren't too much help in this. Authorities basically asked what the problem was. Kanika's family explained what had happened in great detail. They explained the timeline of everything and authorities went into room 927 to see if they could find anything there, which they didn't. And then after that, basically told Kanika's family that if any new information came up to contact them and they would come by and check it out. So even after arriving to the hotel and hearing the family's concern, the authorities didn't think that there was too much of an issue here. And they basically said, if you find out any of you the family. If you find out any new information, give us a call. So now we move on to the early morning hours of September 10th, and it was a little past midnight at this point, and I want to digress and talk about the lower level of the hotel that I briefly mentioned earlier. So at the Crown Plaza, you had the lower level of the hotel, which a lot of hotels have this. It's sometimes marked LL on elevators, and in the Crown Plaza lower level, like I said, there's conference rooms, there's offices, there's auditoriums, things that are used to conduct more business-related matters, and the lower level also allowed access to two different kitchens. So you have the first kitchen, and this kitchen was the main kitchen at this point in time. It was used for all of the different restaurants. It was where all of the food was processed and cooked. And then you have the second kitchen, and this second kitchen was actually kind of under renovation at the time, and it wasn't being used yet because the hotel was actually in the process of adding another restaurant to it. So because of that, they ended up adding another kitchen as well. So this kitchen was not 
being used at the time of Kanika's death. It was simply an empty chef's kitchen that also had a walk-in freezer. Now, even though this kitchen was not in use, the walk-in freezer was turned on. Now, the hotel claims that they kept the freezer running and cold in case they needed extra storage and an extra place to store food from the other restaurants. So you had an empty kitchen and a working walk-in freezer. The kitchen, like I said, was accessible through the lower level. Throughout the lower level, there were multiple signs saying staff only or employees only, and Kanika's friends had gone down to that level twice, and they didn't do a full extensive search. However, they did go down there and they looked in the bathrooms, like I said, they looked around a little bit, but they didn't go far enough to enter the kitchens, which is where Kanika was eventually found. So on the early morning hours of September 10th, the assistant food and beverage manager is seen on surveillance footage walking into this unused empty kitchen, and he is seen walking back into the right-hand corner of the kitchen, which is where the walk-in freezer was located, and the surveillance footage doesn't have a direct view of the walk-in freezer, but you can see shadows. You can see someone opening the door, and surveillance footage shows the assistant food and beverage manager opening the walk-in freezer door, and when he opens it, he discovers Kanika's body lying on the floor of the walk-in freezer. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, you guys, welcome back. Now, after finding Kanika's body, the authorities are immediately informed, and that is when police arrived on the scene. Authorities brought in the medical examiner, and they were able to determine that Kanika had no cardiac activity and that she was, in fact, dead. And when Kanika was found, she was wearing the same clothes that she had been in that night. She was not not wearing any clothes. There was nothing that looked unusual about her clothes, and there was no trauma to her face, body, or neck, and there was no no evidence of strangulation. The only injuries found on Kanika was an abrasion on her right ankle and a contusion on her right leg, but other than that, there were no internal or external injuries to her body. There was a toxicology report conducted which indicated that Kanika had caffeine and alcohol in her system, as well as a drug called topiramate. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Now, this drug, from my understanding, is a drug that 
helps people who have seizures and epilepsy. It helps prevent seizures and it also can be used to prevent migraines. Along with that, some people use it who have bipolar disorder or PTSD. Side effects of the drug include dizziness, confusion, drowsiness, loss of coordination, nervousness, memory problems or speech and language problems, and the use of alcohol or marijuana can worsen these possible side effects. So this drug was found in Kanika's system and we're going to get more into why it was in her system later. But as far as Kanika's cause of death goes, after an autopsy was conducted, Kanika's cause of death was ruled, quote, hypothermia due to cold exposure in a freezer with ethanol and topiramate intoxication as significant contributory conditions, end quote. And the manner of death was ruled an accident. So even with the cause of death being ruled an accident, this case has become extremely controversial for many reasons. A lot of people truly believe that there was foul play involved in Kanika's case, and I'm sure if you have heard about this case, you've probably heard about people bringing up theories that there was possible foul play involved, or that someone else was involved and responsible for Kanika's death, or that there's just more to the story than the public is aware of. So authorities ended up searching through surveillance footage of the hotel from the early morning hours of September 9th, which is when Kanika initially went missing. They wanted to do this just to see what exactly happened that night. Where did Kanika go? How did she get here? What led to this point? Which mind you, again, this footage wasn't looked into until after Kanika's body was discovered. And if it had been looked into prior to her body being discovered, when Teresa initially asked, it probably would have led police right to where her body ended up being found. So on these surveillance tapes, it shows Kanika exiting the elevator by herself on the lower level of the Crown Plaza. When she exits the elevator on this level, it is very clear that she is extremely intoxicated and under the influence. The footage shows her stumbling through the hallways. She's walking back and forth from one side of the wall to the other side of the wall and using the wall to keep her balance. She runs into a staircase at one point and has to grab onto the rail so she doesn't fall over. She's seen walking into the men's restroom and she stays in there for about 45 seconds until she exits the restroom and heads back into the kitchen. Surveillance shows her walking through the kitchen and eventually walking in to the walk-in freezer where her body would later be discovered the next day. Like I said earlier, the camera angle wasn't directly pointed at the walk-in freezer so you don't see her walking in by herself. You just see the shadow of the door opening and the shadow of her walking in and then never coming back out. Now, based off of the surveillance tapes, it's very clear. Like I said, Kanika was completely under the influence. She was very, very intoxicated. And through these tapes, she looks very confused. She looks like she's just trying to figure out where to go. She's trying to find something familiar to her. And again, it's incredibly frustrating because if these cameras had been checked when Teresa had arrived at the hotel, Hotel and asked for them to be looked through. I mean, we can't sit here and say that it would have saved Kanika's life. However, they definitely would have been able to find her a lot quicker. And I was watching another YouTuber's video on this case. Her name is Stephanie Harlow. I love the way that she covers cases. I think she's brilliant. And I was watching her, um, her coverage on this case and she said that she had worked in retail in the past and they had similar surveillance footage. And if something were to happen where they 
they needed to retrieve the surveillance and look through it, they themselves wouldn't be allowed to do that. However, it would be a phone call away, is what she said, from the person who could do that. So to relate it back to this case, if the receptionist said, you know, I can't look through the surveillance footage, they definitely know someone who can, whether that's the person who has authority above them, if that's a manager, or if that is just straight to the authorities. Now, once Kanika's body was discovered, the authorities are seen on surveillance at the Crown Plaza pulling Teresa into what looks to be a conference room and unfortunately having to tell her the news that her daughter's body had been found. This surveillance footage is extremely heartbreaking to watch because you see Teresa walking into this conference room and seconds later, she is seen running out of the room and screaming and running down the hallway and running out of the lobby. Now, once Teresa finally left the hotel, she had gone on a Facebook Live and she had said on this Facebook Live that Kanika had been found and she was found in a freezer and that no foul play was involved and it was an accident, a terrible accident, and she was very emotional throughout the Facebook Live as expected, but she did say that the death was accidental. Now, not too long after Kanika's death, Teresa actually appeared on the Dr. Oz show with Nancy Grace. Now, on the Dr. Oz show, both Nancy and Teresa were disclosing their concern about how they believe that Kanika's death was not accidental. So, the perception flips. Teresa initially said it was an accidental death, and then soon after, she switches her perspective to being the fact that she believes that this was not accidental. Teresa said that the conditions in which Kanika's clothes were found did not suggest that this was just an accidental death. Teresa said that Kanika's shirt was found pulled up in a way that could have suggested that someone had pulled her shirt up to expose her. And along with that, Teresa also talked about the fact that one of Kanika's shoes was found off of her foot, but it was found in the freezer with her. And she also brought up the ankle injury that was noted on the medical report. Teresa said that the drug found in Kanika's system was not a medication that Kanika ever took. She said that her daughter was never prescribed this and it was not something that she took on a normal basis. However, the toxicology report and the medical examiner were able to determine that this was not a one-time use of this drug. Now, I'm not exactly sure how a medical examiner is able to determine what is a one-time use and what's been used over an extended period of time, and it's honestly pretty amazing that we're able to do that. However, when they ran the test, they were able to determine that topiramate was a drug that Kanika had been using over an extended period of time. And right here is where I will point out the fact again that Kanika is 19 years old, and so she is over the legal age of being an adult. And so if she was taking something that she didn't want her mom to know about, because even though the drug is used for epilepsy and helps with seizures and migraines, there are some other things that it could be used for as well. Topiramate can be used as a mood stabilizer, and it can also be used to help with weight loss. So if this was something that Kanika wanted to take for whatever reason or wanted to get a prescription for, she very well could have. However, despite this, Teresa has said that Kanika was not taking this drug and she did not want to lose weight. She was not looking for a mood stabilizer or anything like that, but it is possible that Kanika was taking this drug without her mother's knowledge. Now, Kanika's medical records have never been released to the public, so we are unaware if she got prescribed this drug through a doctor or if it was through a third party. It's not 
not really clear and authorities have never come out and explained if they've ever looked into her medical records to see what the history with topiramate was. Personally, I would be interested to see if she ever disclosed taking this medication to her sister or her friends, if she told anyone that she was taking it. If I were the authorities, I would probably start asking her closest friends and her siblings to see if she ever disclosed to them about taking this medication, and I wasn't able to figure out if that was something that they did or not. Now, another thing I want to mention is the fact that authorities wanted to look through Kanika's phone, and I'm not sure if they thought that they would find any information or if there was something that they were looking for that they thought that they could find if they went through her cell phone. However, Teresa did not let authorities look into this. Teresa denied on two separate occasions for authorities to look through Kanika's cell phone. I don't think she ever gave an exact reason for why she did this. I mean, if I were to assume, which I don't like to assume, but if I were to assume, it would most likely just be because Teresa wanted to protect her daughter and she wanted to probably have as much control over the situation as she could because everything at this point had just been taken away from her. So she probably just wanted to still be able to protect her daughter from everything and anything. Now, again, if you are familiar with this case, you are most likely familiar with the countless theories that come along with it. The countless theories of possible foul play, countless theories of who could have been involved and what really happened. The list goes on and on and on. There are theories out there that suggest that Kanika's friends were responsible for her death, and there are theories out there that her friends sold her to someone for sex trafficking for $200, and that is what led to her death, and that them searching around the hotel all night was just a cover-up to make it look like they were looking for Kanika when they actually knew exactly what happened. I think the craziest theory that I have ever heard about in this case actually involves Selena Gomez, which is pretty insane when you dial it down, but the theory basically goes that this was all going on around the time that Selena Gomez needed her kidney transplant, and she didn't want to have to wait on the transplant list, and she wanted a kidney right there in that moment, and Kanika was essentially killed, and her organs were harvested so Selena Gomez could receive Kanika's kidney. It's just, it's absolutely ludicrous, and it's insulting. Like, the fact that the theories have gone this far is actually insulting. And personally, I believe that that is where this case struggles in the fact that everyone is looking for another explanation. People are looking for foul play. They're looking for a theory that suggests that someone was responsible. They're looking for someone to point a finger at. I do want to mention that authorities interviewed 44 people when it came to Kanika's case, and 30 of the 44 people were in the hotel room at some point that night of the party. I also want to mention that scientists who have studied hypothermia have actually named and put a term to people who remove their clothes when they are freezing to death because if you remember when Teresa went on the Dr. Oz show, she was saying that Kanika's clothes looked a little like they had been messed with a little bit. Now, this term is called paradoxical undressing, and it is essentially what happens when you are in the final stages of hypothermia, and your body actually gets tricked into thinking you're overheating. So some people think that they need to remove their clothes because they feel a sense of heat. So because Kanika's shirt looked like it had been a little bit messed with, it led authorities to say that that was the cause of paradoxical undressing. Now, personally, I think that Kanika was extremely intoxicated the night of this party. Based off the surveillance footage, if you go and you watch it, you will see she was under the influence of something, and I have a hard time believing that it was only alcohol which is where the topiramate comes 
medicine. Mixing that medication with the alcohol could have definitely increased her level of intoxication or the side effects that would come along with it. I think it's very possible that while waiting for her friends to retrieve her belongings, she decided to get on that elevator by herself and ended up in a place where she didn't know where anything was and no one was down there with her. The surveillance video shows that there was literally no one down there on this lower level with Kanika when this was happening. No one in the hallways, no one passed her walking through anything, no one was in the elevator with her. And I think it's possible that she was walking around and she got very confused and she ended up walking into this kitchen and into this freezer. Now, if we're talking about theories, you know, if we're just going to think about what else could have happened, I do think that it's possible that Kanika didn't know the side effects of what combining alcohol and pyramid could do to you. And I also wonder, just based on looking at this surveillance footage and how intoxicated she seems, I wonder if Kanika was given something that night that was untraceable. Now, if I'm going to be honest, I'm not too familiar with different medications or drugs or prescriptions and what could be traced and what can't be traced and things like that. I'm not super familiar with it, but based off of how delirious and intoxicated she looked, it definitely makes me question if she was given something or if someone put something in her drink that was untraceable. Now, do I believe that someone gave it to her because they wanted to kill her? No, but that combined with the topiramate and the alcohol, it could have had some serious, serious side effects. Now, Teresa has filed a $50 million lawsuit against Crown Plaza. Teresa claims a number of things in this lawsuit. First off, she claimed that based off of the fact that the hotel was receiving noise complaints and there was an extreme number of over-occupancy in room 927 and underage kids drinking, that the hotel should have done something about it and stopped the party when they got the noise complaint. The lawsuit also says that the kitchen that Kaniko was found in should have been closed off. Someone should have shut the door and locked it instead of just using a sign to try and detour people from going into it. They needed more than just a do not enter or an employees only sign, which I completely agree with. I think that if you don't want you know, people to enter, use something that's more deterrent than just a do not enter sign. Now, along with this, Teresa claims that the hotel staff was dismissive and negligent when she notified them of Kanika's disappearance. So this is a closed case. Kanika's case is a closed case and authorities have said that the death and circumstances surrounding Kanika's case are especially sad. However, they believe that there is absolutely no foul play involved. Now, I am one of those who always believes that you can never leave any stone left unturned. You have to look at the case from all different angles and see every possible theory to then start being able to rule out certain ones and come to a precise conclusion about what exactly happened. So because of that, I do understand why there are so many conspiracies surrounding this case. However, I think it's really important to look at these straight facts. Something that we don't have a lot of in a lot of cases we look at is literal footage of the victim seconds before or walking towards their death. We usually don't have that. And the fact that we have that here, we see Kanika walking by herself into this freezer. No one follows after her. No one is right there with her. 
we see her just walking in by herself. And I do want to point out that these cameras are motion activated. So if anyone else was to follow Kanika, it would come up on surveillance. I do think that a lot of people want a different answer in this case. And I think a lot of people aren't necessarily satisfied with the idea that Kanika just got very intoxicated and had a very, very tragic accident to her. Again, I think it's possible that maybe she was slipped something in a drink that she wasn't aware of and that was untraceable. That's probably the one main theory that I go back to in this is that possibility of that happening. I think it could have happened if something was untraceable, which then leads you to, well, who gave her that? It's this whole list of things. And I also think it's very, very, very important to note in this case, it comes with a lesson. Do not leave your friends behind when you are drinking. If you go together, you stay together. We talked about this with the Savannah Spurlock case. You don't leave your friends behind when you are drinking, not even just drinking. You don't leave your friends behind in general, whether you're going out at night, during the day, if you're going to a party, if you're going to a bar, you don't do it. If you go together, you leave together. It's girl code. It's a pact. You do it. Now, personally, when it comes to this case, I think the amount of conspiracy theories have actually hurt this case. You know, with so many theories floating around there, so many people are saying so many different things. And I think it makes it really hard to look at the evidence and look at the actual facts that we have. So I'm really, really curious to see what you guys have to say about this case. So definitely let me know. Email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and until then, stay safe guys.